Clemson Dubcast. It is Friday, March 24th. Right now at TigerIllustrated.com, hot off the presses. Paul Strelo's late week recruiting insider addresses lots of questions, including the odds as we see them of Clemson dipping into the transfer portal later this spring. That and a heck of a lot more in Paul's extremely in-depth recruiting insider. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse and neglect, car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Okay, Tony Shufo, longtime Charleston resident and College of Charleston institution, is now living in Clemson. This guy has a wealth of knowledge and experience in the broadcast game, he's doing a lot for Clemson's various sports teams. Also has some great stories from his times with Bobby Crimmins, John Cress, and on down the line. All right, here we go. Enjoy. All right, joined by Tony Shufo. How you doing, sir? Man, I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. Um, Sitting on the, in fact, sitting on the porch right now, enjoying some warm weather. Yes, sir. Uh, just curious. Your name is spelled C I U F F O. How many times a week do you have to correct somebody who calls you, and and what are some of the butchered pronunciations? Some some of the best uh, butchered pronunciations of it. Shiufo, Kaiufo. Over the years, there's been a lot. Some of them don't even start with a C, but I won't get into those. But yeah, you know, it is what it is. I think the weird thing is a spelling, right? Because it's C-I-U, but you would want to put C-U-I. Uh-huh. I actually had a situation where I was traveling with um, Clemson softball probably three or four weeks ago, and they fly commercial, and they sent me my ticket or it was, and I looked at it, and it was spelled C-U-I. So um, immediately we had to get it changed because, you know, that's a no-no, in the, obviously, in the pronunciation. Um, it, people put the C-U-I, but it's all good, you know. 
Um, is that Italian? It is Italian. You know, I've never been to Italy, but I can eat some Italian food. So I'm qualified. And that's all that matters. <laughs> Sufo. It is Italian. Sufo. Don't, yeah. don't. Sufo. I think I think the proper pronunciation they tell me, and and you, I know you have plenty of real Italians listening. It's chufo, it's uh-huh. chufo. <laughs> but uh, I think my family goes back to Palermo, Italy. Okay. And um, I don't. I've never been, and um, and then uh, obviously New York, and then my grandfather um, was stationed at the Charleston Naval Base, and then after he finished his tour back. I'm not even sure of the years he stayed on and worked in the Charleston Naval Base, like so many did, right, in the 60s, 70s, and the 80s until it was closed, I think, in the early 90s, the Charleston Naval Shipyard, civilian workers. So my father worked there as well. Uh, did your grandfather come over from Italy, or was it was, uh, his, somebody, his? It was his. his it was his family. He was born shortly thereafter. I mean, I, I, I'm not positive, um, but I believe, in fact, mother may have been pregnant with him. But he was the youngest. So there was a family that came over, and um, he was actually born in New York. Fascinating. Um, wow, the shipyard. Uh, my, my stepfather worked at the shipyard. Uh, until it closed in 95, right? Yeah, I think it was, you know, President Clinton closed it. And, and that was kind of, it was a scary time for the city of Charleston because the shipyard had meant so much to Charleston as an industry, right? And now it was closing. Um, but it's been amazing how they've kind of, the city has just picked itself up and so much other industry has is now in, the, in that area with Boeing and, and everything that's taking place, and then everyone's moving to Charleston. While everyone is moving to Charleston, I made sure I got out. <laughs> and there's nothing, that's not a knock on Charleston, yeah. obviously, but it's just a little too crowded. Uh, yeah, my, uh, in 95, when, when it closed, uh, we lived in the old village, Mount Pleasant, and I think my mother and stepfather, when they moved to North Carolina, they sold that house for like one twenty-five. <laughs> One twenty-five. I believe so. I believe that's what it was. And so within, within just a couple of years, I think it had doubled. The value had doubled. And this is just like a three-bedroom, you know, two baths in the in the old village of Mount Pleasant. Yep, over by over by Mount Pleasant Academy. Uh, no, nothing nice. It's not you know wasn't a nice. It was just a regular average house. And then, and so they had been killing themselves for a while over not keeping it, you know, renting it or whatever. And (laughs) I think I saw within the last few months, I think it might've sold for 1.6. And that's a bargain in the, in the old village. (laughs) That's a deal. You're giving, they're giving someone a deal. That's amazing. That's absurd, man. When you think I had a friend who, who is selling his home on the water down in the uh, old village of Mount Pleasant area. And I think he listed it for 10, maybe. Good grief. Yeah, it's a different, and of course, um, I've visited, I've been able to visit a couple of times, but it's certainly not a neighborhood, not a neighborhood I, I can live in. So, but that's okay. 
But years ago, just so you'll know, in the late 70s, early 80s, I lived on Pitt Street in the oh, old man. village. So wow. you know, back then people could afford to live there. Yeah. What a what a it's an amazing neighborhood. Um and even as much as it has changed, it still retains the vibe that it's always had. It's like Coleman, it feels like to me, and, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, because you have way more uh, okay. recent expertise and knowledge than I do. But it feels like if you live on the Coleman side, you're still, you know, whether you're in Bayshore, where one of my best friends lives, or Cooper Estates, or the old village, it's not just a, obscene with the traffic and all that, as opposed to like living up 17, you know, um, way up Snee Farm, all that stuff past there where you're just, you're just punching the, punching the wind, windshield every time you're, every yeah. time you go anywhere because of all the traffic. You know, that part of Mount Pleasant seems to have kept as much of its charm as possible with yeah. everyone moving in. You know, I go back to the, the late seventies when obviously um, Coleman Boulevard in the older part of Mount Pleasant going by the what was then Moultrie Middle School and Jasper Green football field was there at the time. It was much quieter and um, but it still does. It kind of that's the, the one part of it, the old village that kind of keeps its charm a little bit. And it's just so it, it's, you know, it's so crowded. It's become very crowded, but all of Charleston has, and that's not a knock on Charleston. It's a beautiful city with wonderful people. I understand why people want to move um, to that location, but after 50 or so years there and over 30 of them, you know, actually working downtown, it was time to get somewhere where it's not quite as congested as Charleston. You don't hear, uh, up here, you don't hear as much complaining about people from Ohio as you do in in the low country where it's like, bitter man like there's a lot of locals or i guess quote-unquote locals who just hate people from ohio like is that is there any legitimacy to that or is it just i don't really know you know i've never had any issues with any outsiders but i will tell you that there seems to be quite a few and i have heard people complain and talk about it you know, my experience has been everyone's been wonderful, but all you have to do is drive in the neighborhood. Now, I've lived, you know, uh, before my wife and I, Bonnie, moved to the Clemson area. We actually lived in what was Pinopolis, which is Monk's Corner, Berkeley High School area. But if you ride around neighborhoods from that area to Charleston, you're going to see different flags on, on houses. You know, you see Ohio State, right? It's not just South Carolina and Clemson and Citadel. Um, it's Ohio State. And uh, in some, I've seen Iowa, but when you look at the kind of out-of-state type flags, and I consider Georgia kind of in-state, if you will, um, it's certainly a lot more Ohio State flags on people's homes than I'd ever seen. But in fairness, I've had no issues with them, and they've been wonderful people. And um, so... So you don't have a go back to Ohio bumper sticker on your car? No, no, I really don't. Uh, but uh, but you know what? Again, I'm the one that moved out, right? So, <laughs> I mean, maybe it worked. We'll just charm him to death until he realizes he's no longer welcome. <laughs> and I got out. But we found a beautiful place. All, and that was our goal. Yeah, the, on that topic, I I had no idea you were up here until... I'm uh, at the Ingalls getting a cup of coffee, uh, I guess, last week, maybe yeah. a week before. And 
walk into my car and 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 then you say, "Hey, uh, Larry, I'm Tony," and I'm like, "Tony, I know you. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> what, what are you doing here?" And y'all y'all moved up here, and so you're. Refresh my memory. You're going to be in Patrick Square, but you're currently staying. Uh, you're currently in a in a uh, staying temporary, temporarily. Yeah, we decided. Uh, I guess a couple of years ago, maybe. You know, I retired from the state with the years at College of Charleston and the Medical University, and my wife is getting set to retire. And she works from home, and she's like, "Hey, we've talked about getting out of Charleston. How about Clemson?" And the first thing that went through my mind, Larry, was the, the wonderful folks that I know and the connections and meeting people that I go back to the 80s that I've met, you know, being here. And the opportunity to get back into athletics in a part-time basis only and just work and help. And there were some real great opportunities. I, obviously, Clemson is three miles away, but Southern Wesleyan is nearby. And then I'm an alum of what was at the time when I went was Anderson College. It's now Anderson University. So hoping to, to do that. So we decided to come up and... You know, we found a lot in Patrick Square, one of the few at the time that was still available. We bought it and we decided to, you know, build. In the meantime, I had reached out to Don Munson, who's, you know, just one of the great people in this industry and a dear friend. And not only is, is he so talented at what he does, but he's also been gracious trying to help me find opportunities. And so um, I was able to get some work. But in the meantime, my wife and I have a small condo. Larry, in the mountains of North Carolina. It's called Burnsville, and it's outside of Asheville. So we had we'd been living there for six months, and um, while the build was going, and we're not far away from the end. And our dear friends, um, the Lomaxes, have a home here in Patrick Square, which is vacant currently. And so they said, "Hey, you're welcome to stay while you can keep a close eye on the construction." And um, and and then we can be closer to Clemson. So that's how we ended up here. It's kind of a sh- cliff note version of everything, but, you know, because it was a long process, but that's where we are. And we keep an eye on our new construction. In fact, I have to go meet the builders a little bit later today, but we're right close to the campus. And that's exciting because there's so much to do, particularly if you're a sports fan. And that's one of the things that really attracted us to this area was being able to, if not be involved with Clemson, certainly go and watch as much as possible. It's been it's been a lot of fun. So give us the Cliff's notes on what all you are doing with uh, and it currently uh, with right. radio and and some of the internet broadcast, and then also what you would like for that to maybe evolve into. I think it's evolved in everything I could have. Uh, kind of imagine all I, I guess I consider myself the third or fourth string quarterback. I kind of hold the clipboard and I'm the guy that when Rick Bagby at Clemson, who um, hires the broadcasters or Don or William Quackenbush aren't available, they go to their third or fourth stringer, the part-time guy. And they go, Hey, we have an opportunity for you. Um, are you interested? And of course I am. Um, you know, the, the great news is Clemson's got two of the best broadcasters in the business there. I mean, they're, you know, you're, you, they're frontline guys, and, and obviously Don Munson and Will Quackenbush are just, and I've admired them, just their work for years. They're so good, um, but they can't be everywhere at one time. And um, I think earlier in the year, Larry, they, uh, Don was, it was South Carolina football weekend, and the men's basketball team was 
on a trip in Florida, down to Florida, playing Iowa and California. And Rick Bagby asked me if I would be interested. I think it was Don Munson who told Rick that I have a background in that after so many years, you know, working at the college in Charleston. And I went down there and had a great time. I met coach um, Jim Davis, the longtime uh, women's basketball coach here at uh, Clemson and had a blast working with him for a couple of games. And then when I got back, there was a, uh, I think a, a couple of situations were women's basketball when they went to Boston College and uh, a game when they went to uh, Louisville where they needed someone to fill in. And uh, I'm retired. And so I told Rick, absolutely. And it was a great experience. I got to, you know, I got to call a win for the women at Boston College, which was really exciting. They played so well. And then since then, I, I went on the road with softball. Um, they wanted to do, there were, Basically, every softball game is you can watch on TV on the Internet. But they had uh, six games, I believe, in Florida or five games in Florida. They did the tournament at South Florida and three of the five weren't televised. And so it's important. And, and Rick Bagby and his group, they really want as much exposure for all sports as possible. Um, there's such a high demand for softball. He said, hey, do you mind? Would you be interested in going to Tampa? I said, absolutely. I'd love to. And it was a wonderful experience. And um, then I got back and uh, I've done some baseball and I love baseball. Uh, you know, that was kind of my first love in doing this. And I got to work with Bob Mahoney, who was just phenomenal and you know i brought up your podcast about the cajun cafe and and uh, cheap seats and didn't realize that they were separate <laughs> until i listened <laughs> but i talked about how wonderful your podcast was and the next thing you know they're delivering food oh you said that on the air oh yeah i talked about it because i did not realize that there was a difference until yeah. i listened to your podcast and um I just wanted to give them each, you know, the equal opportunity they deserved because they're they're both are, you know, kind of a huge tradition in in Clemson baseball and what they bring to the program and to the atmosphere there at Doug Kingsmore. Lo and behold, I turn around, I got jambalaya and chicken, <laughs> and, so I just kept talking. I figured the longer I talk, more food they sit. But uh, unfortunately, last weekend against Duke, I was scheduled. Um, to do the doubleheader against Duke, and I came down with COVID, so I couldn't make it, and it was disappointing because the last thing you want to do is is let people down. Clemson has been so gracious and so good to me um, from top to bottom, and and um, and it's not just broadcasting. My first um, job that I did for the Tigers was really last spring when they got shorthanded on official stats for TV at a baseball uh, series against Miami. And I came up and did that. I actually did some TV stats for the um, women's NIT opener against High Point and then also the, the finale against Florida. I was unable to work the Auburn because of COVID. But, um, you know, I love the broadcasting, but I'll do anything. You know, I'll, um, I was an SID for 23 years, right? So I know how to keep stats. I know how to write AP stories things of that nature. So I'm, I just want to be their go-to guy, kind of, you know, third or fourth string. I want to be the, I want to hold the clipboard, the Charlie Whitehurst for Clemson and just whatever they need and let them know that they've got someone that they can depend on. You know, anybody who is listening, who is a part of the cheap seats is probably wanting me uh, to, to ask you to pass a note to, 
to Don Munson to let him know that that there are two separate entities. And I say this tongue in cheek, all right, right, all, with, with, a, with a sense of humor, of course, um, <laughs> because they they have a they have an issue with Don not mentioning or or only mentioning uh, the, the the Cajun Cafe. So uh, I'm sure knowing Don and you know Don, there's not a better human being right. that I've been around and he's just such a wonderful person and on and off inside the radio booth and outside. It just, you, it's a pleasure to be around him. You know, I think it's, if, if he doesn't, it's because he's not thinking he's more focused on the task at hand, which is tiger baseball, but knowing Don, I'm sure it's not anything intentional for sure. Or maybe he just likes the Cajun cafe's food better. Well, and, um, you know, I have to admit, <laughs> I've only, I've only done a few games and the Cajun cafe now, the cheap seats, they also feed people? That's a question, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they've they brought me any food. And um, so that's something if I ever get back behind the mic, you know, as basketball is, is, has winded down, there's less going to be less opportunity because, um, you know, Don and, and, and Quok are um, 1A and 1B when it comes to baseball. So they won't be as tied up. But if for some reason I get behind the mic again, maybe – Cheap seats will decide it's time to feed the big guy. <laughs> Why not, right? It's, it's interesting. Um, you mentioned going on the road with softball, and uh, this applies to baseball as well. Uh, that the internet uh, has just has been a game changer because ten years ago, um, they you this wouldn't have been happening. I don't think, or I guess maybe more like twenty years ago. It's just softball doesn't get radio uh doesn't have a you know a, a radio um presence with the right. flagship station so it'd be it would be nothing and so now it's pretty amazing how um how the 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 opportunities that have come uh to sort of uh bring bring it to the to, to the masses so to speak but you say it's a clemson decision not like an acc decision on um, on on whether to staff whether whether to cover these games from an internet um, standpoint, right? Well, I, with the, I, with the home events and and I think every home event, I mean that's a done deal when it comes to Clemson. And it's amazing what Rick Bagby and his group does because many times there's baseball and softball going on, and you look at these productions and they're just phenomenal. But where they've had the um, the question marks have been away from home. Because they don't control Clemson doesn't control what the teams do on their home field. So, but what Rick and them, what the university has done is decided that they're going to do everything in their power to bring you know Clemson softball to the masses. If you know, I mean, preferably, I think they would like to have obviously the games on the internet. But when we were in South Florida, it wasn't their call. So the best next best thing would be okay. Well, let's let's put them on the air and. I believe, and I, 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 we did. I did three games along with Jeannie Murphy, um, director of operations for softball, who's a former player and coach, and she was phenomenal. What a great expert she was to have to really explain the game in, in the terms that you know the average fan would understand. But I believe two of those three games, or maybe one of the three, was actually not only on the internet but also on lo- a local broadcast um, on a radio station. So I, I know the Tigers are doing everything they can to bring softball to life when you look at their i think remaining schedule every game is on either espn plus or acc network extra or sometimes it's the acc network that it's on i know last weekend they were their finale in their series um was on the acc network so 
it's amazing. And uh, what they do, it, the internet has not changed just Clemson. It's changed everything. I mean, yep. You know, we, we go back, I go back to the seventies with the radio, you know, dialing in every station I could find across the country. Once the sun went down, you know, listening to 700 WLW out of Cincinnati with Marty Brenneman and Joe Nuxall calling the big red machine in the mid seventies. You know, today you, you can listen to any major league game on your phone. And, um, so it's helped college athletics, um, tremendously. And, um, and if Clemson gets in a uh, Tigers get in a situation where they're a person short and they need to go to that third string or fourth stringer or whatever I'm considered, if I can help, I'll be there. What if it's like spur of the moment, something happens, it's the day of, and they call you like right now and they say, we need you tonight to, to do a game. How behind would you be in preparation and just how much preparation is is necessary to where you and, and when do you know that you're prepared enough to call a game with the different names and all the different nuances right. of a game you have to know I talked about this with fred cunningham a few months ago who also does some yeah. of the some of the some of these games rick bagby tries to give me as much leeway as possible or head headway i should say as possible to to have time the biggest thing is with not living in clemson you don't feel the heartbeat of the team, right? Don Munson is an employee of the university. He's with these student athletes every day. Um, Quackenbush um, has his own show, and he's with these student athletes um, quite a bit of time. Learning names certainly is not an issue, but you need to be around the athletes. You need to be around. You need to. It's one thing to watch games on TV, but you have to feel the pulse. You have to go to practices. You just have to understand what coaches are trying to do from a game plan standpoint. I've been very fortunate that coach Brownell and, and coach Butler allowed me to sit in on their scouting reports. You know, in my years at college of Charleston, I sat in on hundreds of scouting mm. reports with John Cress and that, you know, once you know what the team wants to do, it's not like I'm going on the air and giving away surprises, but it allows me as a broadcaster to have an idea of what it is they're trying to do as a team to make my broadcast go smoother. But, you do have to learn names and it's not just names, Larry. It's, you can't look at the numbers. You almost have to see the athlete and know their name. Right. And if someone's run up and down the court, you can't, you don't have time to look at number 12 and number 25. You just have to know who they are by their body shape and maybe it's hairstyle, whatever. You got to know who they are just get to know the athlete. So that was important. But if they, you know, if they called tomorrow, and called today and said, we need you to do a broadcast. I'm doing it. I mean, I can get it done. The good news is, and you think about it, when you're doing baseball, you, you, you have your roster in front of you. You don't need to know them as their face, what their face looks like as much as you do with basketball because they come to the plate, you see their numbers, and it's, it's John Smith who plays third base. And you go from there, you just make sure you pronounce their name right. But my job is to describe the action. So mine's less about a lot of things other than what's happening. How do I simultaneously tell the folks at home what's happening so they I can paint that picture? The analyst has the real difficult job. I explain what's happening. They're explaining how it's happening and why it could be happening. But, um, yeah, I could – the prep time – 
you can you can spend a lot of time in prep and you can do a lot of numbers and stats and all that. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the folks that are listening, they love their stats. But more importantly, they want to know where the ball is, who's got the ball, where is it, what's the score, what's the time and what's happening. And that's my main focus. You know, I feel like if folks know and, and some folks may even complain but if I go two more than a trip or two down the court without giving the game time or the score and the time, I'm not doing my job because not everyone's tuning in the entire game. So um, that's my goal is to make sure that folks have a clear picture of what's happening. And I try to do my best. You all, And do you alternate between play-by-play and analyst, I presume? No, I've never been an analyst. Really? My entire career of play-by-play, you know, because the analyst has to have credibility with the audience. And I don't mean that in a negative way. But the reason why your analysts are your former coaches and former players is because they what? They've been there, done that. They have credibility. They have – if you're a base – like Bob Mahoney was a Clemson pitcher and knows the game as well as anyone that's ever been around it. And it's phenomenal. And he knows Clemson baseball as well as anyone that's been around it. So he brings that – what I call baseball equity to the booth that I don't have. And very few people in the program do Brian Hennessy may, cause he's been a part of the program now for 20 years. And Don Munson has been around quite a bit and they're, you know, they're getting closer, but he is the guy. I couldn't do that. I don't have credibility. If I tell you, if I say Larry Williams, this is the way you should bunt. The first thing you're going to say is how do you, what makes you the expert on bunting? What did you ever do? Did you, what'd you bunt when you played T-ball? <laughs> right. But if I give a Bob Mahoney or a former Clemson player who played in the big leagues or, you know, whoever, they've got credibility. So I'm not the analyst. That's why I'm not an analyst because I'm not an expert. I think and my wife would not, would not argue with that point. I think you're selling yourself short because, because you've been around baseball a long time. You have a son <laughs> in the major leagues. Uh, and, and, and on top of that, the most important thing, is that you do your homework, which some analysts who are quote unquote in that position of being an authority can be lazy. Not, I'm not talking about here. I'm talking about in general. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you sit in on those scouting yeah. um, sessions, you've been in hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of them. And so I don't know, man, I, I think, I think you're probably more qualified than, than, than some who have quote unquote played the game or, or, or whatever, or who have that institutional knowledge just based on your, um, your eagerness to, to do your homework. Well, I appreciate that. I, I do try to take pride in, in being prepared and, and more, you know, cause you want to be accurate for the, for the listenership. But I will say that maybe, you know, maybe the years around baseball, the, and, and like you said, have been on different levels. Um, yeah, maybe it helps a little, I agree. Um, but, um, to, you know, to have, for example, if, if Jack Leggett was my analyst, like Bob Mahoney is, I mean, you're talking about guys that when, when their average Clemson fan hears those names, they automatically go, they know what they're talking about. And so anyway, I appreciate it. And I, I try to do my homework, but I do leave the expertise up to those experts, whether it be on the basketball floor or, you know, my analysts in basketball or, or whatever it may be. My job is to just try to paint that picture. So uh, that's, yeah. that's what I love. 
I'll never forget back during one of Clemson's six years going to the playoff, six straight years going to the playoff. Um, I think maybe 15 or 16 um, game day was coming to town. ESPN college game day was coming to town. And I get up a message from Ross Taylor, Clemson's uh, football sports information director. And he said, Hey, uh, Desmond Howard wanted to uh, call you and pick your brain if you, if you're willing. And I said, sure, you know, kind of flattered. (laughs) And so he, I get, he, I get on the phone with him, and he's he's asking me questions about about Clemson's football team, and I'm thinking, and this is nothing against Desmond at all, but I have this question in my mind. I'm like, why is he calling me, <laughs> uh, right, a writer right. like this guy? This is Desmond freaking Howard. He can be in those offices talking to the coaches, or at the very least, talking to the coaches over the phone you know, doing real homework, like getting the real, you know, skinny on, on the team. And yet he's calling a, 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 a reporter, a, a guy who covers the team. I didn't, I, I didn't understand. It felt, it felt like kind of lazy yeah. to me. Um, and, you know, you see Lou Holtz uh, when he was big into the, into the television part of it, you knew he wasn't doing a whole lot of homework. You know, um, and so I've always said that, you know, you don't have to have played the game um, to be, you know, to be informed and to be able to do a good job. I mean, so-called football people or baseball people are can, can be uh, just as prone to being a clown <laughs> as as somebody who hasn't played the game because it's about homework. And if you don't do your homework, then you really aren't adding what you probably should be adding to the uh, to whatever broadcast it is. Well, Larry, you have accessibility that you realize you don't even probably realize that you have being around the football program as much as you are. You 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 feel the heartbeat, right? You don't realize how much of that heartbeat you feel and you have until you're not around it. And and I think the, the like I just said, you you know the guys and you know what uh, you know what most coaches are thinking, right? Before you ask the question, you just need them to quote it and not yourself, right? So, but I think the fact that he's asking you is because he knows you had the heartbeat. You have the heartbeat of that from his perspective that he needs, right? You're not a defensive coordinator or an offensive coordinator, but what you are is someone who covers this program on a daily basis and understands the, the ins and outs where he would like to be that Saturday morning when he's telling the country about Clemson football, he went and spoke with somebody who knows that heartbeat. You know, and one other thing I want to go back on, you mentioned <laughs> the internet and how it's changed. One of the things is it, it does help with preparation. So when, when Rick would contact me and say, can you do men's basketball or can you do women's basketball or even softball with the ACC network, I can go back and every game's recorded. Right. So now I can go back and when when I had a week to prepare for the women playing at Louisville, I could go back and watch Louisville women's basketball games to prepare and understand kind of what what they do. So that has changed preparation as well. No question. So how many Louisville games did you watch in preparations for that one game? Three. Like in their entirety? Um. A good bit, yeah, a good wow. bit, absolutely. And then, then but you're also doing, uh, you're also uh, watching a lot of Clemson as well, mm-hmm. because it's not just because um, people get hot and cold, right? So if there are games leading up to it, you know, 
Um, how are things? What What are the Tigers doing a little differently now that they didn't do two weeks ago? And you see that it's it's changed the outcomes of games, and it's helped too because I could contact Don or I could contact Quok and say, "Look, you, you're around these teams more than I am. You understand the heartbeat. What are some of the things that that they've been working on that you've heard in practice and that I can talk to coaches about and get some some background on those type of things." It's interesting when you're doing radio and um, internet or you know video. You talk about painting a picture. You certainly have to paint a picture with radio. Not as much so when the viewers are sitting there viewing it. Does your style? Do you have to be cognizant of that? And does your style change uh, things you're emphasizing uh, and whatnot when you alternate between the two? Absolutely. And I haven't done TV in years, but I used to do Cougar basketball on TV back in the 90s when we had what we remember. You probably remember Comcast Sports Southeast. Um, that was CSS. And uh, they did every Cougar home basketball game. And I did the games. What you have to do is talk less. Right. Because on radio, the play by play person is the most important because they're the ones that are describing everything from where's the wind blowing out? What are the dimensions of a ballpark when when you're on the road, what color uniforms, what dugouts, right? Are the teams in that type of thing? But the more play-by-play guy talks on TV, the, the more you're you're selling your viewers short. They can see what's happening, right? Sometimes they don't understand exactly why, and that's where the analyst, I think, is so important. I had a conversation with John Crest years ago when John finally retired. Not I won't say finally retired. I, to me, I wish he was still coaching, but. Uh, when he did decide it was time to retire, he went in and did a couple years of TV. And he came to me and said, do you have any suggestions on what I should do to prepare to be on TV? And I said, here's what I want you to do, coach. I want you to go home, pull up a basketball game, put the towel over the, over the uh, screen. And I want you to listen to the announcers. Not only what they say, but what they don't say. And that's the difference between TV. Sometimes, you know, on radio, it's got to be what you say. On TV, sometimes, particularly for a play-by-play guy, it has to be what you don't say. Because the viewers are smart. They, they, can, they see what's happening. Um, a lot of times, they just need people to explain why. Whereas on radio, I am their eyes and ears, right? I'm the, re- I'm the one that is, is describing everything. So I need to paint the picture. But the Picture's painted for you on TV, so I think from a play-by-play standpoint, and it's like I told John Crest when he got in the business, not only listen to what announcers on TV are saying, listen to what they're not saying. And some of the greatest moments, I guess, in TV sports is the announcer being quiet yeah. and allowing the crowd and the, the what's happening take place. So was, I've enjoyed it. I've, been, I've had a lot of fun over the years. Was, was Crest good at it? Did he become good at it? He was he was better than he thought he was, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, but uh, yeah, there's not much when it comes to sports, particularly basketball, that John Cress hasn't put his finger on that he's not been great at it. And it's amazing. I mean, I I know folks in the upstate, you know, they knew who John Cress was, and they knew the good little college of Charleston down in the Low Country had a good program. But I'll tell you, those teams that John had in the '90s. There's a reason that twice they finished ranked number 16 in the country because they were legitimately that good. I mean, it was uh, 
people didn't want to play. I remember as early as 1992 when we went and played Vanderbilt and we lost the game to Eddie Fogler. And at the end of the game, Coach Fogler had a, he'd had his little press conference slash radio interview courtside where everyone could listen to the entire crowd. And, you know, Coach Fogler was never one. I mean, he's going to tell you how it was. And he just said after the game, he said, I hope our fans here in Nashville got a really good look at this College of Charleston basketball team because this will be the last time you ever see them on our schedule. <laughs> he said they are that good. And this is before the Cougars were officially even Division One. We were in the transition from NAIA to Division One, So the talent level you know, was not quite there yet, but it was getting there. But it was John Cress. I mean, the... I could reel off some of the numbers and the stats and the things that they did was just phenomenal, phenomenal time. So everything John touched back, you know, John Cress, you know, he coached with Lou Carnesecco for years at St. John's and actually went with him to the ABA's New York Nets. As he'll tell you, he coached Rick Barry when he was with the Nets. Um, He'll tell you about in-home visits. He always kids people. And he tell people all the time, you know, I, I had in-home visits with Julius Irving and Lou Alcindor. And I used to always give John a hard time. I said, you know, Coach, it's great that you recruited that guy, but you didn't get either one, so I wouldn't brag about it. <laughs> <laughs> and that, but he, you know, John had a great sense of humor. Still does. <clears throat> How many years did you work with him? Well, he was coached for 12. I was at the college for 20. So all 20, I worked with him. My first 12, he was the head coach. And it was a, you know, it was a sad day when he retired. It really was um, because of what he meant to um, college basketball, particularly in the low country. I, I think he made basketball really popular in the low country of South Carolina. And, um, you know, it, it's... Because here's the thing about College of Charleston, and this is so true. You have Clemson and Carolina fans that love the Gamecocks and the Tigers, and they're the they're a Tiger basketball fan, but not many people in Charleston are going to drive four hours, watch a basketball game, and drive home. They might do it on a Saturday, but usually not during the weekday. And, this, and the same thing, people, a lot of fans love college basketball, may love their Gamecocks, yet they're not going to drive at night to Columbia and back. So what they have is an opportunity to fill a, you know, 5,500 seat arena downtown Charleston and get their fix of college basketball. And in the nineties, you know, the old John Crest arena on George street was the hottest ticket in town um, to see that team play. You know, who are these guys that are beating Arizona state and beating North Carolina and, and Tennessee and Georgia tech and, you know, Stanford, the list goes on. I mean, I, I could sit here all day and reel off the names and so John made basketball really popular in the low country, and it was a sad time when he retired. But, yeah, I spent 20 years with him, and uh, he was, you know, he still is. I called him the other day. He's phenomenal. I called him the other day in the NCAA tournament, and we reminisced about the, um, you know, the Cougars got an at-large, Larry, in 1994. Mm-hmm. I don't know that people realize that. The Cougars were in what was called no man's land. Charleston was not eligible for an automatic bid because we had not been division one long enough. So the NCAA, you had to wait seven years. So we were in what is the, what was the trans America athletic conference and, uh, which is now the a sun and we won the league, but because we, if we won the conference tournament, 
the league would lose its bid, we weren't even invited to the TAC tournament. And uh, so we sat home. But we sat home with a 16-game win streak, and we were 24-3 and with wins, a, a blowout win over Alabama, a big win over Penn State, a win at – or excuse me, win over the Charlotte 49ers. Merrill lost it over time to the Gamecocks in Columbia. We had a really good resume. And lo and behold, they picked the Cougars as an at-large in 94. And uh, that kind of started it. We had so many wonderful times uh, with John, no question. I mean, just phenomenal. I mean, look, I love the College of Charleston. 20 great years. But it's not a big school in terms of, you know, financial support for athletics. So we didn't stay in the best hotels. And we didn't take chartered flights. We very seldom took flights. I mean, I remember busing to Miami. Wow. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, But if you're going to do those things, you might as well win. And John Cress's career record was 560 wins and 143 losses. I mean, that's 417 games over 500. Not many people even Mm -hmm. win 400 games. So, you know, if you're going to travel and stay in – you know, not the best places, but the best places we could afford. I'm not complaining. It was wonderful. You might as well win and win the Cougars did. And it was a lot of fun. And then, of course, I got to work with Bobby Crimmins, too. So, <laughs> What made Cress a great coach? I think his emphasis on um, defense. You know, I, Danny Johnson, who... Uh, played at Clemson and transferred from Clemson to the College of Charleston. I think he put it best. Um, John always had deep benches, um, but he, Danny said that John would dangle that carrot, and that carrot was you're going to play hard, you're going to play defense, and you're going to play offense the way I want it. And if you don't, then there's plenty of room on the bench for you. And everyone bought in. It's hard not to when you're winning 25 games a year, but that's what it was. His – I'll put it this way. I've sat in my 23 years, I've sat in a lot of scouting reports. And I could go on a John Crest scouting report, and it was always about what the Cougars had to do to stop that team. And from an individual standpoint, the tendencies of that athlete, the tendencies of your opponent, what they're going to do on certain uh, situations, they were so prepared. There have been others where... Um, there have been some scouting reports with other coaches and, and I've, there have been a number of coaches where it's just not as, as, as clean, you know, it's good, but it's not as crisp. And, you know, back then when the Cougars were in their heyday, Greg Marshall, um, was part of that staff who went on and had a, you know, a really good career at Wichita state until everything that happened there. And um, Dwayne Grace was on that staff, and Jim Yarbrough. He had some really great assistant coaches, and um, they were just prepared. I think that's what made it. The, it was the um, the ability to prepare his team, and his it, the players will tell you. <laughs> they said there were times it seemed like they knew where the what the opponent should be doing more so than the opponent knew, because they would call out a play, the opponent would, and our guys were so prepared. They felt like there were times where they wanted to tell the opponent, no, you, you're supposed to be over here on this play type thing. And uh, so here's the thing, and, and I'll, I'll, here's what I try to explain people. John Cress did not win every close game 
that he ever coached in, right? In the last five minutes, he never, he didn't win every coach close game that he ever coached in, but he never beat himself. You had to beat John Cress's teams to win. And that's the difference. John, I think particularly against what he called the giant killers of the world, the big teams, the goal was to get the game within the last five minutes and to kind of see what happens. And what John's teams could do was dictate tempo. If they dictated the tempo and had you playing, if you weren't prepared defensively for the screens and the different things that his teams were doing offensively and they stayed in the game with you, there was a chance you were going to lose at the end. But again, he didn't win them all. He didn't win all the close ones. You know, I think his record against the ACC at one point was three and eight, right? But who's counting when you're in the tack? Mm. They're just looking at the three. Yeah. Right? I mean, when you're a small school, you don't look at the eight. You're like, look at the three. But anyway, that's, um, I could go on and on about his, but his teams were so well prepared and, like I said, he he dictate tempo, and if he got you in a situation late in the game, um, they had a chance to win, and that's how he did it. Did he have any serious opportunities to to leave? <laughs> yeah, he, he he yes he did. And this is I got so many John Crest stories, and this is how times have changed. Wait to hear this. In '94, we had obviously got the at large. We had gone and played. Wake Forest in the Rupp Arena in the opening round with Tim Childress and some center, I forget his name, I think it's Tim huh. Duncan. Yeah, I don't know if you ever heard of him. <laughs> the Cougars actually jumped out to a double-digit lead. And it kind of back and forth, back and forth. And then late in the game, the Deacons hit three straight threes and kind of did us in. We lost by 10. But anyway, John had been contacted by a number of schools, including Tennessee. and um, But he didn't want to leave. And I remember after we lost to Wake Forest, we were walking to the media room. It was myself, the athletic director, Jerry Baker, John Cress, and the president, Judge Alex Sanders, who is a wonderful man, is a wonderful, wonderful man. And the judge puts his arm around John Cress and goes, Coach, in his way, he, he goes, Coach Cress, don't you worry. We're going to take care of you financially. Right? <laughs> so, we actually got back uh, from – Lexington, and we were having a team meeting. This is part of being in the SID, right? Not just the radio guy, but even in fact, back then I wasn't the radio guy. I didn't do the radio for my last 14 years. So this was early in my career there. And John met with the team and said, listen, you're going to read and see a lot of things in the newspaper. Back then people actually read that, you know, they had newspapers and uh, this is before internet. And, and the, he said, but he told the team, he said, guys, I'm not going anywhere. So, he knew he didn't want to leave, but the, the, the whole thing of it was the Cougars came out and gave John Cress a 10-year contract in 1994 worth a grand total of $1 million. Mm. Think about that, a 100 total. grand a year, a total. Now, the Cougars this year <laughs> announced that they have extended Pat Kelsey to $1.1 million per year. Crazy. Per year. But John stayed for that, and um, he... He loved it. I mean, there were times I'm not even going to name the schools that contacted him. And John would ask for the media guide of that school, and I'd get it to him. And I didn't want him to leave. I'd hand him the media guide, and I'd say, Coach, you know, this is a nice media guide. I said, but you need to understand something. The first day you get hired at this school, you're just one day closer to being fired. And uh, he goes, oh, Tony, you know, I don't think like that. <laughs> but uh, I said, Coach, you stay here. They're going to name the street after you. 
they ended up naming the arena after him. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, he had he had some opportunities. And I, I, let's be honest, today's a different day, right? In today's basketball landscape, he probably leaves. Because there's no way you turn down the numbers that are being thrown out to mid-major coaches yeah. today. If you're in the Columbia or Sumter or PD areas and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to Uptown Realty SC. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm, Smith & Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced, professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326. 3507. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as ITTE members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to Founders F cu.com as the an SID is such a kind of a strange position because you work for the athletics department um, of course nowadays a, a lot of a lot of these coaches have their own SIDs that work for the football program or basketball program but the traditional um, sort of role of an SID is you're, you're kind of a middleman. You, you know, you're, yes, you work, your, your, your interest is promoting the, the team that you're working with. And of course you work for that, that athletic department, but you're also, um, trying to see to the media's needs, you know, uh, in terms of interviews and things like that. And the ultimate goal of course is promoting the team. Uh, but that can lead to some sort of, uh, push-pull situations where the right. the media is mad at you for one thing and the next day a coach is mad at you for maybe bending a little too much for, to the media's side. What and, and you mentioned, you know, that's a different era, of course, when newspapers uh, sort of reigned supreme. But just over the course of your career as an SID, what, what was that role like for you? <clears throat> and um, I guess maybe a little bit different when, 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 you know, kind of a a, a, a a team like college and a school like College of Charleston that is sort of in the shadow mm-hmm. of obsessively, uh, too obsessively followed a big time uh, university uh, athletic departments in the state. Yeah, it did make a huge difference. That was the big thing, right? We were always a stepsister, <clears throat> the big mm-hmm. schools. Most people didn't cover us. We didn't see the state newspaper and the Greenville News and the Charlotte Observer unless we were doing something well. Which did make it easy, but there is a fine line, right? Because you you're in the know, right? There are things you see and you hear that everything shouldn't be seen and heard, right? So you have to draw that line, but you also have to have a relationship 
because it's not just about men. When you're at the college to Charleston, um, the men's basketball team got covered because they performed, not how well they did, but locally in particular. You know Rick Nelson was the beat writer for years at the Post and Courier. You know Rick and a number of the guys. You know Ken Berger covered the Cougars <clears throat> because they performed, whether they won or lost. But the, it wasn't the same for other sports, right? Um, it was a struggle to get soccer in the paper or to get women's basketball. It was a struggle to get baseball. Anything outside of men's basketball at the College of Charleston because there wasn't football could be a struggle. So you had to draw you had to you had to work with the media closely. You could never give them too much because at the end of the day your loyalty is obviously to your student athletes and to your school. But at the same time you have to help the media. I had a great relationship with Malcolm DeWitt and the late Ken Berger, wonderful relationship with Ken. Guys that I could call up and go, listen, here's a deal. Um, you know, here's an opportunity to do a story that no one else has. And it's not a negative story, but it's a good story. It's something different that they haven't done on Cougar basketball or John Cress. But at the same time, I need, I, I need a story on women's basketball. So I think there was a lot of, you know, you had to find line. You had to make sure that it was always a, uh, you're doing what's in the best interest of the school and the student athlete in particular. But at the same time, you um, you had to work closely with the media to make sure they felt like they were getting what they needed <laughs> because there were times there were things that I was we were going to need and um, whatever it may be. I mean, it's as simple as this. When we would hire a coach, right, I would go to our president at the time, whoever it may be, when we hired Bobby Crimmins, for example, and I'll use that as an example. And I go to my and I would go to my president. <clears throat> I apologize for that. I, as you know, I've had a cold, but that's yeah, okay. I went to the president and I said, "Listen, I can get us two one A stories, but we've got to give the Post and Courier an exclusive." And what do you have in mind? I said, "Listen, I, they can write tomorrow morning that sources has confirmed that Bobby Crimmins is going to be the next head coach at the College of Charleston." And then the next day, they'll write a story confirming, or excuse me, covering the press conference. So we'll get two days of 1A. But we, you know, we need to do these. Those are the things you would do. And the president would be like, yeah. So I'd call Rick Nelson and go, hey, here's the deal, Rick. We're hiring Bobby Crimmins. You but were the I source. Yeah, I was the source because it's not a negative story. I know, I'm just kidding. We can now. <laughs> right? Now, and from now. a Cougar standpoint, we got 1A twice. And it helped Rick do his job. Because now all of a sudden, and, and now Rick's one of the bosses, right, at the Post and Courier. Back then, he was a writer. And Rick could go to his boss and go, I got an exclusive. So when I would go to Rick later and go, listen, the softball team's won 10 in a row. Can you do a feature? That's how it works. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't say anything negative about our program. It was just a positive that we were able to utilize to help us down the road. Well, that's how you had to do it. But it is a fine line. You're right. You're exactly right because you see and hear. And here's the other thing about it. If tomorrow, Larry, you no longer covered Clemson football, this time next year you would realize just how much you knew because you hadn't been around it in a year. It's the same thing I was. I didn't realize how much I knew about Cougar athletics nor the Cougars in general until you're no longer walking the halls or you walk talking to the coaches or having dinner with the team. <laughs> that's why it's important to be around. So, but yeah, it's a fine line, but it's, you have to, you have to do what's best for the school first and foremost. And again, I would go to my president, not 
just not just the athletic director. I would go to the president's school, whoever it was at the time, and get clearance, right? I'm not out there becoming a source because I think I want to become a source. No, I would explain to the people that signed my checks and I would say, listen, here's what we can do. You know, two front 1A stories to, in the next two days, if you allow me to do that down the road, I can get a story on something else that we need. And of course, they'd say yes. It's the same thing with releasing a basketball schedule at the College of Charleston. <laughs> When we would host, when we would play North Carolina or, or say we were, when I was at the college, we were going to play Clemson. Well, the day before we would release our our schedule, I would go to Rick Nelson and go, Rick, we're going to release our schedule in a couple of days. But beforehand, I want to go ahead and announce that we, we're going to be playing Clemson this year because that in itself is a story. Cougars playing upstate, you know, ACC power Clemson or whoever it may be, right? In one case, it was Cougars are hosting North Carolina. That's the story. Two days later, we announced the rest of the schedule, and now the rest of the schedule. So now we've gotten two huge stories that could have just been one, and that's how you have to do it. When uh, <clears throat> what's the angriest you were at? What's the angriest you were at a media person during your time? <laughs> and, oh. then, and I'll ask you the next one after you answer this. I don't know. It's kind of like sports, right? You know how sometimes coaches get upset, but they're not really angry, right? But um, whew, I don't. I remember one time being upset with Ken. You Ken know, Berger. with uh-huh. Ken Berger. Um, Ken wrote a story about the Cougars, and I remember the next day I called Ken and I go, Ken, there's why? Uh, I, th- I can't remember exactly how I put it, but I go, why know the facts when you can just write a column, right? Type thing, right? I mean. You wrote X, Y, Z. If you'd asked me about X, Y, Z, I could explain to you what it was, but that would have taken too much time, right? <laughs> you wanted to get your column and get gone, but uh, I don't know. I don't think it. Um, I don't think it ever. Other than something like that, and you know how Ken was. <laughs> he was. Uh, it didn't matter, and he never took himself, in, in far as I know, with his self. Uh, too serious and he was like oh come on Bubba whatever you know it's no big deal and it wasn't a big deal right <laughs> um, and he would he would somehow you, you, you talk to Ken for five minutes ago you know he's right <laughs> but uh, yeah I don't know that I don't know that media you know the media got mad there were certain things we couldn't tell people right uh, the night that John Crest decided that he was going to retire and we called a press conference for the next day. And of course the media is calling me from around the state wanting to know what's it about. Cause all I could tell him was it was men's basketball. That's all I was allowed to say. And so they were mad at me. They all speculated, but I couldn't tell them. Of course they found someone eventually within athletics who told them, mm-hmm. but it wasn't me. But anyway, yeah, I mean, no, I don't know. I don't remember ever getting really mad at the media. But uh, I do remember Ken writing a column one time, and I thought to myself, "I guess the facts really don't matter." And uh, <laughs> his, you know, his objective for each column: get it done as soon as possible. And yes. sometimes, and some, and a lot of times, that meant getting it done before the game was even over. Sometimes, maybe even before the game was played. <laughs> yeah, he would find something and yeah. latch on to it. We lost a home game in '95. <laughs> the Cougars were eight and five after the loss. And his column the next day was season may be over before it begins at eight and five because back then we didn't again we didn't have we didn't have a conference tournament everything we got was an at large 
So at eight and five, he was right on, you know, but he could write that column by halftime the way we were playing. It made it easy for him. And um, even if we had come back and somehow won, we would have struggled to won. So he was able to get it done. But, you know, it was true. But fortunately, we finished 23 and five. <laughs> right. It was one of those 16 game win streaks or whatever it was that John's team went on or 17 or 15 game win streaks <laughs> that we went on. But I don't I don't really think of uh, I don't really ever remember getting mad. That's a good question. Because I don't really again, but uh, we were we were college of who, right? right? College of who? You know, I remember when Dick Vitale talked about us on ESPN back in the day. That was a big deal back in the nineties. And Dick Vitale talked about you, and he had a segment. I remember I used to send, I used to fax him information on the Cougars. This was in ninety four, and finally one day he picked up his fax machine and screamed at me. And probably said some words that he doesn't even realize he said, but he did. And he said, you're breaking my fax machine with all this information. He said, but watch SportsCenter tonight. I'm doing a feature on your team. And I go, thank you very much. And that, was, you know, <laughs> and that night, he actually dubbed Thaddeus Delaney the shack of the tack. Thaddeus Delaney out of Eau Claire High School. Yeah. was a, a beast at 6'8", 250 pounds, could run the floor like a deer and was just a great athlete and Dick Vitalis called him the shack of the tech, baby. And so it's, it stayed. What's the, the maddest uh, that Cress and or Crimmins were at you? Well, Bobby Crimmins has never been mad at anyone. So that's, <laughs> you know, you, I mean, come on, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know that – I don't think Coach – you know, I, I will say this. I remember one year the media guy, when I first got to the college, we couldn't – it's this is a story people probably don't care about, but uh, most schools would bid out back. Back then they actually had media guys that printed and gave to the media. This was the early nineties. And back then we, um, we didn't, we, we didn't bid out our media guy. We had to actually go through a print shop over at the Citadel, a state institution. So from a timing standpoint, we were at their beck and call. I mean, they, <laughs> they dictated, when we got our stuff to them and when we got our media guide, it wasn't like we went to an outside source and we could say, okay, here's how much we want to spend. And here's when we need it with the Citadel. It was, we were going to have to use you and, and look, they did everything. It was their folks over there were unbelievable. My relationship with the Citadel print shop was tremendous and they did everything for us that they could, but it, but they were also doing all the Citadel printing. They were doing all the printing at the Citadel the school, the athletic department, they were doing our printing for media guys. So sometimes they weren't as punctual as they, they tried to get them to us and it did everything in their power. So there was one time John was upset in his media and the season hadn't started yet, <clears throat> but he wanted his media guide and I don't blame him. And so, and I think that's it. I don't, I don't remember John ever being mad at me because I never turned the ball over. Right. I didn't take bad shots. You, uh, he's a good guy. I mean, yeah. John Cress is a great guy. And so is, I mean, Bobby Crimmins. Come on. I could tell you a Bobby Crimmins story and it just kind of sum up the type of person he is. Okay. Well, <laughs> we were going to St. Thomas, the Virgin Islands, to play a tournament. The Cougars actually had a charter. We, we, had, we were sharing the charter with Middle Tennessee. The flight was going to pick up Middle Tennessee, Murfreesboro, wherever it is. They got half the plane and fly to Charleston, pick us up. We had the other half. Anyway, so the night before, we're having a, va- a media availability at the old John Cress Arena. And Coach Crimmins comes up to me and goes, man, I know Bonnie's excited about going to the Virgin Islands. That's my wife. 
And I said, well, no, she's not going. He goes, what do you mean she's not going? I said, well, coach, I don't have my own room, right? We go back to the low budget, smaller schools. He goes, what? I said, yeah, I'm rooming with the trainer. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen. So he called the, the operations guy over and said, Tony gets his own room. And the guy goes, okay, coach, whatever you say. And so then he turns to me and goes, call Bonnie, tell her she's going to the Virgin Islands. Call my wife. I said, you need to pack. She said, what are you talking about? I said, Coach Crimmins said, you're coming. So the next day, she's on a flight, and that's just the type of guy he was and is, obviously, to this day. You know, he thought enough of my wife and me that he wanted to make sure she – but one of the funniest ones <laughs> was Coach Crimmins had a speaking engagement one night in Charleston, but the basketball team had bused to Greensboro because we were playing Greensboro the next night, and Coach didn't want to ride by himself. So he said, Tony, do you mind coming to this speaking engagement with me? And, and we drive, you know, to Greensboro together afterwards. I said, no, coach, whatever you want. So we're driving to Greensboro. He gets pulled over in North Carolina. Well, he's freaking out because he's his whole thing is, Tony, Tony, it, this police officer, they're going to either be a Duke or North Carolina fan. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. So he's he's reliving every time he beat Duke in North Carolina. Like in 94 when we we upset them, I know they don't forget that. Okay, so he's panicking at the, you know. And I go, Coach, he, I said, you're all right. He might think you're Phil Donahue. He might not even think you're Bobby Crimmins, right? They all look the same. Y'all look the same. So he's, he's sweating bullets and hands the guy a license. And the police officer came back and goes, Coach, I'm just going to give you a warning. He goes, uh, but I do need you to slow down here driving through. He goes, oh, yes, sir. He goes, he goes, you got a pretty good team this year, coach. He goes, oh, we're doing okay. <laughs> but that was just Bobby. It was so much fun to watch him panic as he's reliving every t- – and, and I, in fairness, it's a good thing he didn't beat him more often because then he probably would have been in trouble. <laughs> right? But that's the kind of – you know, Crimmins is the best. Bobby Crimmins is the best. You know uh, Monty Lee really well, of course. And Absolutely. Curious for your take on <laughs> – you know, I was among the masses of people who thought that was just a slam dunk hire when Clemson brought him here. What's your What's your take on 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 why that didn't work out? Is it just um, just a case of of he's a better fit to be uh, an assistant, just coaching his own? You know, just focusing on one thing, or do you? What, what's your Sort of I can only tell you my experiences with Monty and watching him. Well, first of all, I knew Monty when he was a high school player, right? So we recruited him at the College of Charleston. Still hold the record with other folks as most home runs hit in a game. In 99 season, in opening day, uh, they went to Carolina and lost the game against the Gamecocks, but Monty hit three home runs. I think what always, to me, having been around the college game, as long as I have since the mid-'80s, it was watching his demeanor with his team, uh, and I didn't see it as much, but I did see it some in the way he handled himself in the dugout and goes about things. You know, today's college baseball is so tough, and I'm not going to, uh, whether it be Monty Lee or any coach who doesn't have the success people think they should have, I'm not going to really elaborate on them specifically, but I will say this. I have a very strong view on this, and that the NCAA today has made it very difficult for teams like Clemson and South Carolina to win. I think it's become more of a mid-major focused type process, if you will. There's a reason why <laughs> College of Charleston Coastal won the 2016 National Championships because, you know, there was a time, Larry, and you know this, where you didn't have a limit on what you had to give kids for scholarships, right? I could go to Larry Williams and I could say, Larry, 
I'm going to give you a $200 book scholarship to sign with me here at, you know, North Carolina, right? And you would do it because you grew up your whole life loving Clemson or loving South Carolina. I'm going to give you $200. And basically you would sign 30 kids a year. And they would come in and basically be a tryout. And so now those kids would um, kind of be stuck, right? They'd go to Clemson or Carolina. Well, the NCAA came in a few years ago, and rightfully so, because it benefits a student-athlete. You can only have 27 on scholarship. <laughs> and if you get a scholarship, you have to get at least 25%. So the days of signing 30 kids a year is over, and you can only have eight walk-ons. <laughs> so instead of having, what, an additional 40 to 50 kids a year either going to Clemson or Carolina as walk-ons, quote-unquote walk-ons, now they're going to the mid-majors. Mm. And some of those kids are just as good. And I think that is even the playing field. Now, I know the NCAA has changed it now. I think it, you can have 35 on scholarship and eight walk-ons. I believe I, the numbers have actually changed within the last year. But the other factors involved, and I know this from experience in 20 years at the college, in my 20 years at the College of Charleston, we lost one player to the draft that we recruited. Of course, you, we lost players, you know, that had played and then got drafted. But in terms of recruits coming in, we lost one player in 20 years. Well, South Carolina and Clemson go through three or four a year. Kids that they depend on, they sign them and they don't show up. <laughs> so, for example, if Larry, if I'm recruiting you, right, and you're the best shortstop, what position did you play in baseball? Larry, you played baseball? I played Little League baseball. I was a catcher. And you were what? You're the catcher. catcher. So you're the best catcher in the state of South Carolina. And I go out and I offer you half a scholarship and you sign. Well, the next best catcher, he's not coming to Clemson because I just signed Larry Williams, right? So that kid's going to go where? He's probably going to go to a mid-major. But come draft day, Larry Williams is so good, the Yankees say, hey, your first-round pick, here's $6 million. And now we don't have Larry Williams. Not only do we not have Larry Williams coming, we don't have the next best catcher <laughs> because he's gone to a mid-major. So the big schools, long story short, not only have the scholarship limits taken away, um, the numbers, they have also – they have to recruit against the draft, which is very difficult. And so to me, um, it's been kind of fun to watch how these bigger schools have, um, you know, tried to overcome that. And, um, and, and some can and some can't. There's a lot of big name programs that don't win like they used to around the country. And some are coming back like LSU's number one this year, but they went, they had a real long dry spell. So, you know, and then the transfer portal, huh. Yeah, you know? but I think Monty is a great coach. He's a great person, and sometimes it works. Sometimes there's injuries. Sometimes there's the draft. Sometimes there's who know what. You're right. The ball doesn't bounce your way, and um, but I know he's happy. And then Eric Backich, if you spend ten minutes with him, and uh, you you just feel everything about what he's doing with this program, there's a lot of excitement. And I I, I have only been around him three or four times, but you can certainly see why. And to watch his team play and, and the kind of the heartbeat of what he is trying to do with the program, it's exciting. It really is exciting. It's just a matter right now is winning as much as you can and then continue to, you know, becoming a coach is like getting that jigsaw puzzle. And when you get it, it's never put together, right? 
The question is, how long is it going to take you to put it together? And I, I think for Coach Backage and his staff, that that question will be answered in, in, in the real near future. He's a really good coach, and I love his staff. Your son, Nick, way back when, and it's still amazing to, to refresh myself on this, but got his first he got he was offered by South Carolina before he played a high school game yeah. ended up ended up going in the first round of the 13 MLB draft is now with the Yankees organization can you i guess give an update on how he's doing he's doing well he's you know the injury bug has just he has been really unlucky um really since probably the 2018 season or maybe 2019. It's so hard they run together, but yeah, he was a, he had not played a high school game and I guess it was 2010, the fall of 2010. And he had played on some of these summer league things. And, you know, I had been to game around the game, Larry long enough to know that I thought he was a talented kid. I didn't think he was that talented, but um, obviously coach Tanner did at the time and offered him and, um, you know, Nick committed and eventually signed with the Gamecocks. And, but, you know, the, the draft came around that year and, and it was an opportunity that he really couldn't pass up. And so he went pro and he's in his 11th year and he's had a couple of cups of coffee um, in the big leagues. But, the, you know, it's hard. It's not just getting to the big leagues. It's, it's staying. But injuries, uh, you know, he's probably, as a catcher, has broken his hand. Uh, he told me the other day six times. I only remember three, but they, I guess they kind of run together. And He had a ligament tear when he slid head first into a base. And my first reaction is, why are you even trying to steal? You're a catcher, much less sliding head first, right? But anyway, um, and he was doing well. The Yankees, he signed with them. and But just, I guess, in the last week or so, he took a foul ball off his foot. And so he um, is, um, you know, just rehabbing that and getting ready. But it's been a, <clears throat> you know, it's it's a, it, being a professional baseball player is very difficult. It's a game of failure, right? Um, I get a lot of parents, Larry, over the years that go, do you have any advice for me and my son? He's a baseball player. I go, yeah, uh, make him an offensive guard, play football. They don't keep stats on offensive guards, <laughs> right? you know? I mean, it's like. My son was he's when he was in the minors and still is, you know, he played 140, 100 something games a year. And um, you might go 0 for 20 with 10 strikeouts over things. So it's hard. It's a mentally tough game to play. But he's done well and he's also got some business ventures. He's had a <laughs> he's got a financial advisor and an agent that have really looked after his money well. And like I said, he's got a couple of he's got a business that he's a part owner in that's doing well. And so um he loves the game and enjoys playing. He just turned 28. Hard to believe he's been in his 11th year of pro ball. But at some point, I think he's, you know, you, you kind of give it up. Because being offered a scholarship at 14 also means you've been under that microscope for mm. a long time. Right? Yeah. And so it's time to just have off weekends and things. But he's a great kid. He just got married. I'm proud of him, and he's done so well. And uh, you know, and so, but that's the latest on Nick. He's uh, playing ball and, and trying to stay healthy. Tony, is there anything we haven't covered that you wanna that you wanna get no, off your chest? I just, <laughs> um, just you know, uh, really enjoyed my first few months here in the Clemson area. And it's not just about the university, which I think. People that are particularly listening to this, they understand how special it is here. But I do need to thank Billy DeAndre and, and Don Munson and the people that have given me and Rick Bagby just an opportunity to work. And it's not always going to be about broadcasting. More times than not, it's not going to be. But 
you know, I'm the guy that if they need someone to help with stats at a softball game or maybe write a game story at softball or something, I'm, I'm hoping they, they call on me. But we love the community. People are wonderful. It's a great university. And um, I am looking forward to meeting Coach Sweeney. You know, I've heard so much about him. Um, I want to get a tour of the football facility at some point, hang o- go over there and meet Coach and, and really become a part of this community. And I'm excited to. And so, but that's really about it. Well, as a member of this community for 19 years, I guess I, I have the authority to welcome you. <laughs> and, well, thank uh, you. We'll have to go grab lunch sometime. I'm uh, glad you're, you, I mean, you're like literally like two miles away from me. So that's really cool. That's good to know. Absolutely. And I'd look forward to it. And uh, I appreciate all you do. I've enjoyed, you know, uh, obviously I've known you for years and I've always admired you as a great writer and a great person. And then thank I, you. I found your podcast and it helped me moving here. And that's one of the reasons why I started listening to your podcast, because it taught me about the personalities within this community. And I thought it was important that I got here that I knew who people were. And I, you know, got to listen in to Mickey Plyler. And again, I, I now know the difference between the cheap seats and Cajun Cafe and <laughs> things that are important. So I'm excited Food. about that. Food yeah, is important. Oh, absolutely. But I do want to remind those folks that I'll... I do come to a lot of games. I don't have to be broadcasting to eat. In fact, it works out better that way. Um, <laughs> instead of between innings, getting a bite, I can just mow it. I can just devour it right then and there. So anytime they want to have me over there, I'm more than happy to come. Maybe chat they can them. invite us both out there sometime. I think we, we should. Let's do that. All right, buddy. Thank you so much for your time, Tony. Glad you're on the yes, mend and, uh, and be safe. All right, buddy. Take care. Thank you. All right, great stuff there from Tony Shufo. Again, thanks to him. Also appreciate the support of our sponsors for helping make this happen. And then thanks to every single one of you for hitting that play button. Cheers.